And God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Christian and Rachel. And I noticed that Carl had a particularly hard job back there this morning. Did y'all see his job with his little grandson back there? I felt sorry for him back there having to do that, but it looks like you're doing okay at it. We're dismissing our kids right now and um, appreciate those who serve with them and work with them. And if you want to be an encouragement to those who are in leadership with children's ministry, just ask them how you can help. And especially with VBS, we need all of you. So we appreciate, again, those who are willing to serve. Well, good morning. Welcome again. We're glad that you've joined us today. I am in the book of Nehemiah, if you'd like to turn there with me this morning. Probably a book that you haven't heard preached from for a long time. And um, this morning we're, we're going to continue looking at Nehemiah and thinking about uh, what God called him to do and applying this to the day in which we live, we live and what he's called us to do. I see a lot of parallels between what Nehemiah was doing and what's being needing to be done in the church in the day in which we live. Uh, most of you know that COVID just kind of wiped out ministries. And we're not the only church that's been challenged by this. There are churches across the country uh, that ministries just ceased. And, and I'm convinced that part of what's been going on in our nation is a spiritual attack as well as a physical attack. So we need to be wise about what God is doing and what he wants to do. And as we retool and as we rebuild and we're asking you to get involved. Let's think about uh, what God said through Nehemiah that he might say to us today. Did you notice that Israel was in the news this week? Well, you couldn't miss it if you listened. By the way, Israel has the right to defend themselves. They don't need permission to defend themselves. For 25 centuries, they've been trying to survive. And for 25 centuries, God has kept his nation uh, alive. Sometimes we wondered, were they alive? And sometimes they suffered greatly because of their own sin and their own rebellion. But that is the nation that God has chosen as his people. He's going to protect his nation. They have a right to protect themselves. By the way, a government's first uh, responsibility is to protect its people and to secure its borders, and to make sure that the laws of the land are, main, land are maintained. And as far as I'm concerned, very little else. But that's just my opinion. But uh, that is the requirement of, of uh, leadership and government, is to defend its people. And so that's what the nation of Israel is doing. I think we all know that Iran is a great sponsor of terror, and that's what's going on there through Hamas. And so I want you to know personally this morning, I stand with Israel, and I hope that you do too. And let me tell you this. If you're tired of the hypocrisy and the power grabbing and all the things that we see going on in our nation, there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to reign from his throne in Jerusalem. There will be no rebellion. It will be put down. He will reign and he will rule the world from his throne there. And that is the day that God's people look forward to. That's what we're all seeking. That's what the world is really seeking is a utopia. They just don't know where to go and what to expect. But that day is coming and Jesus Christ will reign from his throne in Jerusalem. And those of us who know him will reign with him. And when I think of that, I think of the words of the Apostle John, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're ready for that, aren't we? Are we ready for that? We ready for his reign? Well, you better get ready. It is coming. And God has promised that. So 25 centuries ago, the people of Israel were struggling for existence. That is the context of Nehemiah. 
We looked last week, if you didn't get to hear the message, it's available in audio online. We hope that it's going to be available in video this week. As I said, we've been having some struggles, but if you want to go back and listen to it, you can from our website. We're hoping we can get Facebook up soon, unless they've kicked us out. We're not exactly sure what's going on there, but uh, it's okay. You're here this morning, and we're glad. If you're not already in Nehemiah, let me catch you up just a little bit. God, through his prophets, told Israel that if they didn't turn back to God 25 centuries ago, that judgment was coming. They refused to turn back. Judgment came, and in 605, the nation was taken in captivity by Babylon. That's history. That's true history. By the way, this book never changes, so... uh, If you have this book in your hand, nobody can revise it on you, okay? Make no mistake, it's being revised. But if you have this book, you can go back and read what God has said because he's the one that wrote this book. And so as we look back at the history of the nation of Israel and their uh, captivity, for 50 years, the land, 50 to 70 years, the land was desolate. But God moved in the heart of a man named Ezra and a, a another man named Zerubbabel, and they brought 50,000 people back to the land. But the walls were broken down, the, the, uh, the city was, the gates were burned, they had no way to defend themselves, the temple had been destroyed, and here they are trying to rebuild. For, ten year, or for a few years, they had some, some progress. They built some houses and they were able to build some things, but then opposition came. By the way, there's always been opposition. There's always been fake news. There's all, there have always been protesters. So nothing's new under the sun, the book of Ecclesiastes says. We think that's all new, but it's not. There was fake news about the Jews. Oh, they just, they're going to oppose the king. They're going to lead rebellion. They're going to cause other nations and other cities to rebel against the king. And so the protesters came to Jerusalem and basically... The rebuilding process was shut down for about 10 years. A little bit of success, but very little. But then God raised up a man named Nehemiah. That's the context of where we are this morning in in Nehemiah. He called Nehemiah from an unlikely place. He had a high government position. He was second in the land. He he had the position of king's cupbearer, which means he basically tasted the wine for the king and the food, among other things, to protect the king and to make sure that, uh, of, of his well-being, that someone didn't poison him or, or hurt him in some way. That's, that's a high security position. That's where Nehemiah was. And one day he was in the summer palace of the king in his cushy job, and some Jews came in, and he said, how's it going? And then he wished he hadn't asked. Because they said, terrible, terrible. The walls of our city are broken down. The temple has been destroyed. The gates have been burned. We're, we're in reproach. We're, they're making fun of us. They're, they're protesting against us. They basically shut down our building program. And for the first time, Nehemiah realized that his homeland had been destroyed and he didn't even know it. And frankly, I'm not sure he even cared. But during this meeting of these men, God began to work in Nehemiah's heart. And God touched his heart. And he began to hear what they were saying and it moved him that his homeland would be in in such a a difficult position and he didn't even know and, and wasn't even involved. So last week's message was about how God worked in Nehemiah's heart and how Nehemiah had a, had a decision to make. Was he just going to hear what these men said and forget about it and go on about his day or about his job? Or was he going to try to do something? Well, God began to work in Nehemiah's heart. And he had a question to ask. Do you care? Do I really care what's going on around me? Do I really care what's going on in my nation? And last week I asked you that question about the state of the church. You know, we've been through a challenging year. We've been through a very difficult year. And John and I would say in all of our years of ministry that 
that we've never been through a more challenging time. Now, we're, we're not crying or complaining about that because that's, that's what ministry is. You deal with what you have. But here we are rebuilding and retooling and asking God the question, what do you have for us to do in the day in which we live? See, Nehemiah was a man for a day such as his day. We are a church for a day such as this. We don't know why God put us in this day, do we? But he did for a reason. And now we have a decision to make. Do we care about the state of the church? Do we care about our community? Do we care about what God wants to do and what he wants to lead us to do? Or are we just content to, to remain locked down and kind of in kickback mode and say, uh, well, I'm just going on with my life? Listen, folks, what God has called us to do is too serious not to get involved. And not to say what Nehemiah said, what would you have me do? And when Nehemiah asked that question, God, and here was the message last week, he he moved in his heart so that he cared enough to ask, what can I do? And as he found out what was the, the state of his people, it moved him to tears. And he began to weep over the condition of his nation and over the condition of his people and over the condition of his holy city, Jerusalem. But he could have stopped there. He could have just had a good cry and said, you know, I'm just going to go on with my life. Nehemiah couldn't do that. He asked and he wept, but then he began to pray. And if you were here last week, I asked you to pray the prayer of Nehemiah with me for our nation this week. You know, um, our nation's in terrible shape, spiritually. And if God's people don't care about our nation, who will care? Do we really care about people? Do we care about souls? Do we care about the direction of our country? And if we do, we won't just ask a question or be moved to tears, but we will be moved to pray and then to take action by volunteering. What can I do? What can we do as a a congregation, as a church, to make a difference and to be the church that God wants us to be in 2021 and the time that we find ourselves? What are we to do? Well, our situation is very similar to Nehemiah's. And this morning, I want to share with you a message from my heart, okay? I'm going to be very transparent with you this morning. And I'm going to do what Nehemiah did. I'm going to step out a little bit and be very open and transparent. And I'm going to talk to you about the heart of a leader. What's in the heart of a leader? What, what does God do in the heart of a leader so that he can be the person that God wants to lead his work and his people? And by the way, I have learned through the years, and I think you have too, that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's where we are in our generation, folks. People need to know that we care and that we have answers and that we love them and that they're welcome here and that they're welcome at the foot of the cross where they can find salvation and they can find forgiveness And they can know that they have a relationship with God. That's our heart. We want to point people to Jesus Christ. Well, what's the heart of a leader like? Well, I think I have another slide here. Everything rises and falls with leadership. Have you heard that said? Well, it's true. Everything rises to the mountaintop with leadership. The lack of leadership allows things to fall. Everything either rises or falls with leadership. I have had people from different churches throughout the years say, I wish we had some leadership in our church. Our leaders just don't want to do anything. They're just content for our church to decline, and, and uh, eventually our church is just going to close its doors. That is not true here at Trinity. I want you to know that. I want you to know that your leadership, your pastors, are willing and ready to climb this mountain. And God didn't bring us here for such a time as this to see this church fail. 
we want to go forward. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want, by His leadership and His grace, to accomplish great things for Him. And we're, we're beginning to climb this mountain. And so everything rises and falls with leadership. Well, what's Nehemiah been doing since we left last time in chapter 1? Well, it's several months later. Let's begin reading in verse number 2. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, about four months later. In the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. This is from the heart of Nehemiah. This is inside information from a leader. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad if you're not sick? Are you sick, Nehemiah? I'm not sick. Why are you so sad? Why is your face so sad? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Something's going on with you, Nehemiah. What is it? So I became dreadfully afraid. Why was he afraid? Because you never went into the king's presence downcast. You never went into the king's presence unless you were upbeat. And unless it was evident that you loved your job. Because if you didn't love your job before the end of the day, you might not have a job. And kings were very paranoid and they thought that somehow somebody in their leadership was disgruntled or uh, that perhaps they had ulterior motives. Most of the time they didn't last very long. It It was a dangerous job. So he said, I was dreadfully afraid because he noticed something about my face that revealed my heart. So I said to the king, May the king live forever! And I think Nehemiah wanted to make sure he could live a little longer too. He tried to put on a a good face and be positive. And then he said, By the way, have you ever prayed and talked at the same time? Like, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but... I'm going to open my mouth and trust you to put the right words in there. I'm sort of doing that this morning, by the way. That was Nehemiah. He was, he was afraid to tell the king the truth. He was afraid to say, uh, here's what's on my heart, because he didn't know how the king would react. But he prayed as he spoke at the same time. And this is what he said in verse 3. Why should not why should my face not be sad when this city when this the city the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire And I think he took a deep breath because he didn't know what was going to happen next Verse 4 then the king said to me and only God could do this folks Then the king said to me, what do you request or what do you need? What is your request, Nehemiah? So I prayed again to the God of heaven. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him what's on my heart and I'm going to trust you. And as he began to talk, he was continuing to pray. I said to the king, if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? I think you heard a sigh in Nehemiah. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, well, while I have the floor, I think I'm just going to go for broke. So here he goes. If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through until I come to Judah. And while you're at it, king, could I have a... Uh, open check for the lumber mill, Asaph, the the chief uh, keeper of the king's forest. Would you give me a line of credit down at the lumber mill? Because I'm going to need a lot of lumber. I'm going to need a lot of supplies. 
Furthermore, if it pleases the king, uh, let letters be given to me for the governors. Verse 8, a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, he, that he must give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. He is also revealing to the king, I'm going to go there and live. You know, I'm all in to this king. This is, this is going to be my life, which means I'm leaving the position I'm in, at least temporarily. This was risky. But he stepped out on faith and he told the king the whole story. And the king, verse 8, granted them to me according to the good hand of God upon me. And I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters and said, here's the authority to do what God wants to be done. And it's stamped by the king's signature, his ring. Without the authority, he couldn't accomplish anything. Just frustration. So he gave them the king's letters, and the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Not only that, he gave him a military escort. And said, here you go, Nehemiah, what else do you need? Go and do what God has called you to do. And everyone was happy, except the opposition. Verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and uh, Tobiah... The Ammonite official heard of it. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. By the way, when God wants to do something, the devil will make sure there's opposition. Always. And if all the things that, that uh, uh, the king had re- allowed Nehemiah to have as he went, there's always a, a little bit of opposition. But God was going to overcome that opposition. Well, everything rises and falls with leadership. Here was a man named Nehemiah, an unlikely man to lead this rebuilding of the nation, but he was the man that God chose. He gave him the vision. For four months he prayed. For four months, I believe, he was working on building materials as he prayed. He was listing everything that he would need. He was uh, uh, doing, pardon me, doing his homework He was thinking, now, if the king grants me this request, I need to tell him everything I need so that he'll know that I mean business. And so when the king opened the door, he had it all ready. He'd been praying, and he had been thinking about this project so that he was ready. Now, here's something about the heart of a servant, or of a leader. Something I'm learning from Nehemiah, okay? One, the first thing that we see about Nehemiah is that he had the patience to wait. Now, I'm not a very good waiter. I'm task-oriented. I like to get things done. I think Nehemiah did, too. I think he had a plan. I think he uh, knew what it would require. And when he went to the king, he said, here's everything that's needed. And, and can I be frank with you right now, church? The leadership is waiting on direction. What are we going to do? Are we going to go forward? Are we going to push forward? And are we going to say, okay, Lord, you show us the vision, and we're willing to follow the vision? Or are we content to do what most of the church is doing right now, quite frankly, in our country and in our world, and just kind of to to hold up and say, wait a minute, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know what's, what we're going to do. Could I tell you that I think this is the time to move? This is the time to move, it's not a time to wait. But, I learned from Nehemiah that patience comes from God. So he waited. He waited, he prayed, he fasted, I think he dreamed so that he thought, you know, if, if we could accomplish this, what would it look like? What would it be like? And so he wasn't wasting his time while he was waiting, but he was waiting. So he had the patience to wait. I think God had to give him the patience to wait. But when the time came and the opportunity came, 
he had the humility to ask. What did he ask the king for? He asked for everything. He said, King, if I could, I need this and I need that and I need these. And, and so when the time came, he was prepared. He'd done his homework and he knew that if the opportunity came to, prevent the, to present the vision to the king, he was going to present the whole thing. And he did with humility, if it pleases the king. King, if, if you would allow this, uh, if, if you would open your heart to this. So he had humility about how he asked, but he needed authority. He needed a letter from the king, and he asked for it, and he got it. He needed direction from the king. Where Would you allow me to attempt this project? And he got the authority. And what happened? He received everything he asked for, including something he didn't ask for, a military escort. What a great story. Nehemiah was learning as he went through this process. We always learn as leaders. If we ever stop learning, uh, we won't be a leader. It takes patience to wait. It takes humility to ask. It also takes wisdom to share. By the way, do you know that every leader who has ever been in power anywhere at any time is in power anywhere right now or ever will be in power is really a servant of God Almighty? King Artaxerxes was a servant of God. He didn't know it. I don't know that he even knew Nehemiah's God at this point. But he was God's servant because the book of Proverbs says the king's heart is in God's hand. It's like water in his hand. He can direct it wherever he wants to. Now that's hard for us to imagine when we look around at world leaders and we think, how in the world did they get in power? And how, how could a person with that evil and with that kind of desire, they are God's servant, don't forget And it only takes a moment for God to turn the tables. And by the way, he has a plan. And every world leader is his servant, including Artaxerxes. So, the king's heart is turned by God. But I also notice in verse 6 a little interesting bit of information here. I think it's interesting the details that God puts in his word. Verse 6 says, The king said to me, And who was sitting beside him? The queen. The queen was sitting beside the king. Now, I can't prove this. This is just a little speculation on my part. But I can just hear the queen patting the king on the leg and saying, Oh, Artie, why don't you let the boy go? Why don't you let him go to his homeland and do what he thinks he needs to? Can't you hear that happening? I don't know if she talked to the king that way or not. But I think she had some influence. See, God can, can move the heart of kings. He can move the heart of leaders. Even people that we think are totally opposed to God. They're, they're like molding clay in His hands. He has a plan. He's working His plan. So don't despair when you look at the world today and you wonder how in the world is God going to get us from here to here? He knows. He knows. Nehemiah had patience to wait, humility to ask, and wisdom to share. Now, for the sake of time, I could read uh, verse 11 through 18, but it's about Nehemiah's reconnaissance mission. If you've read the book before, you know that he went to the land. He didn't tell anyone what he was doing. That's a really good defense strategy, by the way. You don't announce to the enemy everything that you're going to do before you do it he went and he gathered in it was he it was nehemiah alone now he had this escort but he took a donkey and he went out to see the the city for himself under the cover of darkness and as he rode around the city he had heard what happened but a good leader wants to know what's going on so he went and surveyed the city for himself And he said, okay, this is what I've heard. That is true. And by the time he had surveyed the city, he had more information, he had more knowledge, and he knew how he was going to approach this vast project. But 
He knew he couldn't do it alone. A, new, a good leader knows he can't accomplish God's work alone. You know, sometimes leader, as leaders, we're so invested in the work that we want to go ahead even if we have to do it, try to do it all ourselves. We can't do that, I can tell you from experience. 30 years of ministry, you see something that needs to be done, you want to get it done because this is what you live for. This is your life. This is your passion. You want to accomplish what God wants to be accomplished. But as you age and learn a little bit, and you begin to look at God's Word, and you say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? You realize you cannot do it alone. And God never intended it. The work of ministry is for all of us. It's a big work. It's a big job. No one or two men can do it, or five men. It takes a lot of hands to do a big job. It takes a lot of hands to reach out to people that your pastors don't even know. You know, you rub shoulders with people every day that we don't know. And it is your ministry. By the way, who does Trinity Community Church belong to? Well, does it belong to the pastors? Well, not exclusively, but this is our church. This is where we pour ourselves. But it is also your church. I prefer to say it is our church. This is our ministry. Everybody here, whether you've been here uh, 20 years or 20 months or one week, you're included in this work that God wants to do and He wants to use you and you're just as welcome to get involved and to serve and expected to as a person who's been here for a long, long time. This is our church. But don't lose sight of this. This is God's church. This is God's church. He has a plan for us that cannot fail unless we fail. He has a job for us to do. He has a big job for us to do that we don't even know about. But when he sees us take steps of faith like Nehemiah took, he begins to unveil a little more and to unveil a little more. And as people began to reach out and began to get involved in ministry, things happened that God had planned that we didn't even know about. But he knows. But he's looking for a people who are willing to volunteer. It takes a lot of hands to do a big job. We all know that. And it takes more than leadership to accomplish God's work. But listen, folks, we can talk about this forever. We can say we could do this, we could do that, we could do other things. But at some point, it takes faith to act. Nehemiah could have talked this thing to death. He could have pull committees together, how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that, and there's a time for that. But somebody had to stand up and say, this is what God wants done, and this is the time to do it, and here is where we're going. Do you want to go with us? That takes a lot of courage. Sometimes you're misunderstood. Because you sound like you know it all, or you sound like you're... uh, power hungry or anything else. When, when you're in leadership, there are all kinds of pitfalls. But let me tell you this. When God is in it, when God is in it, we need to ask God, what do you want us to do? And God brings the leaders along to accomplish it. I told you I was being transparent this morning. I shared with the early service. This is my third church <clears throat> and my last Told John, when I came here to stay, I came here to retire. I've always done that, wherever I've gone. But without sounding like a whiner, can I share something with you from my heart? I'm I'm praying as I speak here. I've been a part of three churches. I've never had a group of people at a church come to me and say, God called you here as our pastor. We believe that. What do you think God would have us to do? That's kind of sad, isn't it? I don't tell you you that to tell you a sad story. But folks, people bring 
God brings people in leadership into a church for a reason and for a time. And God gives the vision. And then as leaders take courage and share the vision, then what do we do? Well, it takes followers to follow leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. Do you, do you hear my heart here? God calls men to lead, but it takes followers to follow leadership. So, how do you follow leadership? You probably heard messages about you, God calls the leaders and God gives the vision, but I'm going to tell you how to follow good leadership. And that is in chapter 3 here. I'm going to have to summarize this morning because I could spend a lot of time giving you details. But let me do, let me do this. Let me just give you the cliff notes, okay? I'll give you the outline. How do you follow good leadership? Well, it takes a desire to work. You know how you spell ministry? W-O-R-K. When I was at Piedmont Baptist College helping train pastors for ministry, I would preach in chapel every once in a while. And I would say, if you're lazy, please don't go in ministry. If you're looking for an easy job and you think you're just going to work one day a week and you think you have all... The, if you are lazy, please do not go in ministry. Go be lazy somewhere else. God's work is too important to be lazy. Ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. That's why so few people are willing to do it. It's work. It's work to do VBS. It takes months of planning to carry out in three days. And it takes a lot of people to carry it out. It's work to lead a small group. Those of you who are doing that know that. You know, if you invite people to your house, what does that mean? It means your house has to be ready. It means that uh, you have to have energy to invite people into That's work. That takes a lot out of you. And if somebody's leading a group and you're going, make sure you thank them for that because it's work. Leading grief share and leading divorce care and leading divorce care for kids and cooking meals for people people who come here that we have never met before, who are in crisis and who is struggling, is work. It's work. But what did God create us for? To work. Not to sit home and draw a government check. We were made to work to accomplish something. And ministry is the same. In fact, ministry is even more work because it takes a lot out of you to serve others. Work. A desire to work. And then some ownership in the work. You know, you know what it takes for a ministry to, to go forward? It takes one person to initiate it and continually promote it. And that requires ownership. You know, people say... Uh, if you're an employee and you've never owned a business, you know, it's one thing to be an employee. It's a whole different story to, to be the business owner. I grew up in a family business. I know what that's like. And as a kid, I learned about work and I learned about ownership. And I learned that when those customers came through the door, they were my customers. And I wanted them to leave happy. And if they didn't leave happy... If they left happy, they might tell one person, but if they left mad, how many would they tell? They would tell ten people. So don't be an unhappy church member. If you are, keep it to yourself. If you're a happy church member, tell ten people or twenty people. But some ownership in the work. It's our church. It's my church. It's not the place that we just go on Sunday, say, oh, that was a pretty good message, and leave and never think about it the rest of the week. This is the work of God. It requires ownership. It requires people to say, I believe God wants me to do that. And I'm going to follow through. And I'm going to be faithful. This is my ministry that God has given me. Ownership in the work. And then pride in the work. Chapter 3 is a 
brilliant study of leadership. There, I've read books on strategy. I've read books on leadership. If you look at what Nehemiah did, this is the, the greatest manual on leadership that I've ever seen. You know what he did? When they began to build the wall of the city, they put the houses on the perimeter. And he said to every man, you're going to build the wall in front of your house. Now that required some ownership. You know why? Because he wanted a strong wall, because his family was behind that wall. He wanted an attractive wall that was that spoke highly of who he was and who his God was. So he made sure that wall was attractive. If his name was on the mailbox and people walked up and knew he built the wall, he wanted to make sure that it was the best wall he could possibly build. And with the means that he had, the most attractive wall that he could build. That was a brilliant strategy. He put every man building the wall in front of his house and they made sure that it was a good wall. And it was a nice wall. Ownership in the work. Pride in the work. You know something, folks? When people come here, and I know we've said a lot about our building, but buildings speak. When people come to our building, what they see tells them what we think of God. Now, does God dwell here? No. God dwells in, in you. God goes and comes with you. Is He here? Yes, He is. And... You know, I, people say the house of God, like, it, like God, God doesn't dwell in this building unless His people are here. He comes to meet with us when God's people come here. But let me ask you something. Shouldn't the, the place that we meet be at least as attractive as the place that we live? Now I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to take a risk here. Don't raise your hand. Does anybody else have carpet in their house that's 40 years old? Maybe you do. And that's okay. And Maybe you've been able to take care of your carpet. But here we are where people come in and out and worship. And there ought to be some pride in what it looks like and what others think. And by the way, we see it every week. But when a, a new person comes, what do they see? That's all I'll say. He took some pride in the work, and he encouraged others to take pride in the work. Also, you have to be willing to share the work. You know, there's enough work to do for everybody, and there's enough work to do that it requires everybody. How can we come and go and be served and be ministered to and not say, What can I do in return? What can I do? What does God want me to do? How can I take ownership in what's going on in here? What what does God want me to do? It's been said that 20% of the people in any church do 80% of the work. And I've just about found that to be true. I think it's better than that at Trinity. But what if we had 80%? What if we had 100%? I've never seen that in any church. That would be my dream. Not just to get people to do things, but for everybody to feel like this is my ministry. This is what God's called me to do. I can't be ministered to and be fed and not give back. 100%. Imagine if we had 100% great attitudes. Imagine if we had 100% of people serving, if we have 100% of us praying, 100% of us giving, you're going down the list, can you imagine what God could do here if all of us were invested and felt needed? And you are needed. Willing to share the work. That would be so sweet, wouldn't it? And then, don't forget this, it's not just about the work. There's a lot of joy in the work. And there's a lot of fellowship in the work. You know what happens? You, you join a group or you join a ministry, and pretty soon you find out, hey, I didn't even know that about that person. You know, I, 
they're the most interesting. They, they, we have so much in common. That's what happens in our outreach classes. We don't know who God's going to send here, but he always puts a group together and they feed off each other. They say, I'm not the only one. I, I'm not the only one who has a need. That, and they learn from me. And that's what happens when you get involved and when you serve and when you put yourself out there. I know it takes some courage to say, I'm new here, but I want to do something. Well, if you raise that hand, you will have something to do, I promise you. Just let us know. And then enjoy the fellowship. One of the great things about church is fellowship. We come together. When, when people don't want to leave, that's a great sign. When they hang around and they talk and they, uh, you know, this world's getting to be a lonelier and lonelier place for believers, isn't it? And there may be a day when, as I've said before, we're so drawn here because we want to rub shoulders with people who have the values that we have. It's precious, folks. Please don't take it for granted. And then satisfaction in the work. What do they say if you enjoy what you do? You never work a day in your life. I love what I do. I love what I do. And I hope you love what you do. But I hope that you love serving and that you find satisfaction because you're serving the God of the universe. You're serving the God who saved your soul. You're serving the eternal God who has promised you a home in heaven, and you're going to spend eternity with believers, and there ought to be some satisfaction in knowing that I am doing something that's going to last forever. It's not just temporary. Think about this. How much time do we spend in life serving ourselves and serving our own desires, and how little do we spend serving God? I'll just say it. It's easy for you to say, preacher, you... You're here all the time. No, it's not just for me. It's for you too. How little time do we spend in life laying up treasures in heaven because we're serving, knowing that there's a time ahead when we're going to stand before the Lord and He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Satisfaction. I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't remind you that eternity is coming. And eternity is going to be a lot different than this life. Are you getting ready by serving, by thinking, what does God want me to do? When I get to heaven and look back, will I be satisfied with what I've done with my life? That's my job to help you prepare to do that. Satisfaction. So, I'm like Nehemiah. I prayed while I opened my mouth. And I hope it's been well taken this morning because, folks, we need to get moving at Trinity. We're waiting. You come and tell us what you want us to do or what you think we ought to do or where you think we ought to head or if you're willing to head. Or otherwise, we'll just sit here this year and next year and the next year and we'll never know what God could have done or wanted to do. Let me close with a thought. There are only two things that are going to last forever. One is this book, the Word of God. This book will last forever because it was written by a God who does not change. And you can take every promise and you can take everything that God has said He's going to do and you can take it to the bank because it's the Word of God. And this book is going to last, this word is going to last forever. Can you name me anything else that's going to last forever on this earth? The only thing I can come up with is the souls of men. We're going to live forever either in heaven or in hell. Everything else, folks that we hold in our hands and that we spend our life working for so that we can it's going to pass away. Nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying the fruits of our labor and using them for our family and for other things. But folks, one day we're going to lay down and we're going to die and we're going to leave it all behind. And the only thing that we have to send ahead is the eternal things that we have done in service to our God and the souls of men that we take with us. 
I think that's about it. What are we giving ourselves to? We really care about. I might go away. Well, here's what I think we need to be doing. It's what Nehemiah did. Asking God. Weeping. Praying. Fasting. For our country. For our time. And saying to the Lord, what would you have us to do? And then Lord, if you will show us, we will do it. We're ready to do it. Let's go. Let's spend the time that we have that God has given us. Doing what he wants us to do. Can I get one amen? More than one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Nehemiah. He was a man like us. Fragile. Human. Weak. But you put something in his heart that was greater than himself. It was, it was something you called him to do. And he took it seriously. And he looked with an eternal eye to the future. And he thought, what can I do for God that's going to last forever? And it wasn't the buildings, it wasn't the walls. It was what happened in the heart of God's people. As one man stepped forward and said, this is what God wants us to do. This is the vision that he has given. Now who will follow? And Lord, I can imagine the heart of Nehemiah when he presented this plan that God had given him to the people. And he said, what do you want to do? And the people said, let us rise and build. Let us rise and build. Let us build a church. Let us build a nation. Let us build a ministry that we have ownership in, that we have pride in, that we're, we know it came from God and that we're serving Him when we come together and when we go out and when we reach out to others. This is God's work. This is what He's led us to do and it's eternal. It's going to outlive us. It's going to outlast us. What a privilege. But what a responsibility. Lord, would you move us? Would you move us from apathy? Would you move us from comfort? Would you move us from fear? Would you move us from negative thoughts about what's going on around us and how our nation's falling down so nothing good could ever happen? That's a faithless way to look at life and to look at ministry. When things are difficult, it's when you work the most. We're all backward. When we think we can do it, it's when we fail. When we know it's a job so big that you have to do it, that's when we succeed. So Lord, we commit the future until Jesus comes of Trinity Community Church. You brought us here to be a part. We're here this morning. We've heard what Nehemiah heard. Now what are we going to do with it? It's up to each one of us. But I pray that we would care enough to ask and to weep and to pray and to volunteer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.